Okay, so we are going to be looking at two different um, perspectives of freedom today. So this morning we're going to be looking at who I am not, and this afternoon we're going to be looking at who I am. So who I am not now that I belong to Christ, and who I am now that I belong to Christ. And in those things, I believe, is where we are going to see freedom in our lives as we allow God to readjust our thinking and our perspective and to give us the mind of Christ. Now, a little bit about me and my testimony. Um, uh, Teresa shared a little bit of hers, and I also have a similar kind of a testimony. I um, was um, sexually molested as a young child for many years by a variety of different people in my life. And, um, and then as I moved into my teen years, as a result of all of that shame and damage that was done, um, I became um, an abuser, which is typically what happens, really more abusing myself, um, heavily promiscuous. And as a result of that, I had um, multiple abortions. And, of course, I'm not supposed to say that because I have to not carry shame anymore. So I had 11 abortions from the time I was 15 to the time I was 23. It was my form of birth control because back in the 70s, abortion was the big, exciting new event of how you could take care of things. And um, so I obviously you can tell that I was very cold and hard-hearted in my life as a result of my younger years of uh, molestation. And so as a teenager, I was um, just a really hardened person to a lot of things. And I carried that shame for many, many years. Uh, never told anybody about the things that happened to me, not my parents, uh, not my friends. Nobody ever knew and um, got to the point where I would just go get abortions by myself. I wouldn't even take anybody with me. Um, most of the fathers never even knew. I just go, I'm pregnant again, get in the car, drive over to Planned Parenthood, um, which I can guarantee you absolutely does not offer any services but abortion. And um, they would say, give me your money, sit in the chair, and we'll take care of you. And um, so I did that over and over again. And it wasn't actually until about five, six years, I kind of lose track of time, but um, another reason that we had the little house in Iowa, God used that as a place to break that hold out of me and minister to me. And for years the Lord was saying to me, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And I was a pastor's wife teaching retreats about the truth will set you free and still never telling anybody about my past, including my husband of 20-some years at this point, um, who knew nothing about it other than three abortions that he and I had together, um, which was pretty crazy. And um, so finally one day I just surrendered, and I said, okay, Lord, you tell me the truth is going to set me free, and I am at a point where I'm suicidal and I'm a wreck, and it's just overtaking me, the shame that I've carried all these years. And um, so finally the Lord just broke the whole thing open, and I started talking, and I told my husband and my kids, and, um, and on from there the Lord opened up opportunities for me to share in a large range of uh, places about my testimony and the freedom that I found by realizing that God's not ashamed of me and God's not embarrassed by me. And so I have no business carrying shame and being embarrassed because if God is not, then who am I to do that? And shame is just a trap. Shame is from the enemy, and shame will bear you down with chains that will get heavier and heavier and heavier as the years go by. And um, so I'm grateful to God for the freedom that I have experienced in that. And I'm still finding my way to freedom. There's no question about that. Um, but the Lord is doing it, and it's been awesome. And so this message even brings me that much more so in just looking at what I've learned over the last few years and, and where I see the things that I need to allow the Lord to have hold of and in order to get even further into that place of freedom 
and then changing my perspective about who I am and who God is. So, uh, <clears throat> so today, this morning, we're going to start by looking at who we are not, okay? And I'm kind of an interactive type teacher, which is one of the reasons I asked for this microphone. Um, and I'm going to be asking questions, and I actually really do want you to respond. They're not, um, what do you call it, rhetorical questions. Um, and if... In the midst of my sharing, if a scripture verse is laid on your heart about something I'm talking about that I'm not sharing, and you're like, oh, that verse, raise your hand, I'd like you to share the verse. If I share something and you don't really understand what I'm saying, or maybe even you kind of disagree and you'd like to ask, raise your hand and ask. I am perfectly okay with that, all right? Um, because it, I'm not anything special by any means. Um, this is just a calling that I have, but we all glean from each other. You all have just as much wisdom and ability to hear from the Spirit as I do, and so I'm here to encourage all of us to minister to each other. And so it's an open forum for the most part. Obviously, if you get off on a rabbit trail, I'm going to say, that's interesting. Let's go back. <laughs> My ladies' Bible study group used to laugh because they always knew if I said it was interesting that it was time to move on. <laughs> they were like, I hope I don't get the interesting thing tonight. So, uh, <laughs> so anyhow... Um, so we're going to start out, and obviously when we go to who I am not, the first thing that comes to my mind is Paul's dissertation in Romans. Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, I mean, like, can you get anything better than where we see who we are not because of what Christ has done? So let's start out, um, gosh, there's so many verses I was writing down and going, okay, well, we can't read all of them. <laughs> um, but let's go over and start in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 23. And the very first subject we're going to look at, basically what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to break this idea of who I am not into three categories, okay? Now, granted, there's probably more things that we could find, um, but I think for the most part, a lot of the things fall under these three categories, and so we're going to actually work through each category, and at the end of each time, you're going to be given an op opportunity to respond, which is why we gave you the little um, cards, the index cards, uh, because each one of those index cards is going to be your response to one of these things. And when we get to that, I'll, ask, I'll talk to you about how to respond. So you can take notes in your program, and then the cards are for the responses. Okay? So the first message we're going to look at today is who I am not. I am no longer a slave to sin. Amen? Amen? I am no longer a slave to sin. Now, let's look at that for a moment, and let's just make sure that we've got definitions. So when you hear the word slave, what do you think? What is a slave? Hmm? Bondage, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what is a slave? Like, what, what would be, like, how would you define, like, if I'm a slave, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Servant? Yeah, you're owned, actually. The, the literal definition is that you are property of someone else, you have no rights of your own, and you will do absolutely anything they tell you to do. That is a slave in the true definition of slave. So pretty, pretty um, like, wow, like owned by, your property of, okay? So when we look at that in the idea of sin, when I say that I'm a slave of sin, then I'm saying that sin in some way or shape or form, owns me, and I'm its property. Now, none of us here, I don't, I don't think, want to be a slave to sin, uh, but we know that because we're born into a sinful nature, that we're right off the bat, right, we're born into sin. We can look at the grandchildren and tell very quickly <laughs> that we're born into sin. How many of you have to teach your kids or your grandkids how to say no? They get that one really quickly. No, mine. Yeah. So it's that natural man 
that has that self-centered sin nature, right? And so we're all born into that. So we're all actually born as slaves to sin. And so when you think about it in the concept of the definition, it's like, wow, that's a, a sad state. And then you take that out into looking at all the people in the world who are lost, and what is it? They are slaves to sin. They are owned. They are the property of sin. How sad. And how many of you, before you were saved, think about how you were a slave to sin and how it was ruining your life, you know? You were unhappy and you were striving and you were, uh, you know, just fill in the blank. And so... So we're no longer slaves to sin, who I am not. And sin, in the context of this, is just speaking about the, the unrighteousness or the immoral behavior um, or the sin nature. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> so what does Paul say? Let's go over. Um, well, actually, you know, when you look at Paul's letters, how many times in the introductions to Paul's letters does he refer to himself as a slave or a servant, which is actually the same word? Um, and, and who is he a slave or a servant of? He's a slave or a servant of Christ, right? So we see the contrast. So he says, I am no longer a slave to my sin, but I have exchanged that for becoming a slave of Christ. So now I see myself as owned by Christ, the property of Christ, and under Christ's order. Now, who's the better master in that picture? I mean, seriously. Like, you have the master of sin, and the master of sin is a a terrible, evil taskmaster who wants to destroy you and ruin you and own you. And then you have the master of Jesus Christ and God. What kind of a master is that? He's a loving, gracious, I mean, on and on we could go, right? Merciful, forgiving. I mean, that's the master I want to serve. Because I know when I serve that master that he's always going to be there for me. And he's always going to be on my side. And he's always going to say, it's okay. I love you, no matter how many times you fall, stumble, fail, which is not a word from God, but a word from the world. You know, no matter how many times I love you, I'm there for you, let's keep moving forward. What a great master, huh? That's the master that we want to be under, not the master, not the slave to sin. So let's go over to Romans 6, 1 through 23. And I'm going to kind of pick it apart. Hmm. And if we back up to Romans chapter 5, we look at verse 8, which is a verse many of you are familiar with. And it said that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't even about me trying to fix myself or fix my sin. God didn't come and say, okay, you know, you've heard the story, like when you go fishing, you don't pull a fillet out of the water. You pull an old, dirty, stinky fish out of the water, and then you got to gut him and fillet him. You know, And it's the same idea with us. God didn't come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. So God comes and pulls this old, stinky fish out and says, now I'm going to fix you up and make you a really nice fillet. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Put you in some butter and add some mushrooms. and So, um, so we want to remember that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Okay, and that's going to lead into other things that we're going to talk about today. It's going to be really hard for me to, not to cross over because so much of this intermingles. But I don't want you to miss each one of the individual components, so I'm going to try really hard to not wander into some of those things. Um, so forgive me if I like have to kind of stop myself on things. But back to Romans chapter 6. So what shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Right? We are a new creature in Christ, right? Old things have passed away. Okay? Now be careful in that, because that was actually the one that sent me on the tailspin, that verse right there. Because when I got saved, I was very excited because I thought finally I was in a community where I could share about my abortions and about my past. And then I went to a women's retreat, and I think a well-meaning pastor's wife stood up and said, you're all new creatures in Christ, and old things have passed away, so you don't need to deal with your past. Just put it in the trash can and walk away. And I went, oh, okay, then I guess I need to pretend like it never happened. So that's what I did for the next 20 years. I pretended like it never happened, and it tore my life apart from the inside out. And it wasn't until the Lord said to me, the truth will set you free. And I realized, and I know she didn't intend to do that, but I think sometimes we get the wrong idea. Our past is our past, but it's still part of who we are. We just don't let it continue to drive who we're going to become, right? But it's still our past. So we face it. We say, you know what? My past was terrible, and the things that happened to me were awful, and the things that I did as a result of that were horrible. But it's okay. God says it's okay. I, I knew it. And I long ago forgave you for that. And I'm going to use those very things. You know, one of the things that I love, if you look at Scripture, is that God takes the darkest place of someone's life, the deepest sin of someone's life, and turns it into their most magnificent calling and testimony. Amen? Amen. So have I been able to minister to women who've had abortions? Oh, yeah. Because I've been there more than most. Have I been able to minister, you know, like God take, says, I'm going to take your darkest thing and I'm going to make it your brightest thing. But you have to let me. You have to let me use it. And you have to not be ashamed of it and embarrassed by it. But you have to let it become a powerful tool to minister to other people. And so each one of us has that in our lives. Now, maybe you were one of those people that was almost saved born, you know, like you, you grew up in a Christian home and by five, five years old you were baptized and I believed, you know, and you've always walked with the Lord. You still have a testimony and a way to be used, don't you? Okay? Because there are a lot of people like that out there and they need to be encouraged, you know, and that's a powerful testimony to not have all of that weight that we carry, those of us who have the cruddy stuff. And because of that, you're able to be a powerful tool for the Lord, you know, in encouraging people. And so don't ever think that, you know, each one of us has a value, and, and it's an equal value, you know. There, there's no one better than anybody else. It's like my husband used to say when he would pastor. He'd stand up in the pulpit and say, you know what, just because I'm the pastor doesn't make me better than you, doesn't make me more important than you. It's just a calling that I have. I have a higher responsibility in my calling, which is actually kind of scary, but we're all, we're all the same. You all have an equal value and an equal use and an equal purpose in the body of Christ. So all of you have that. All of you have a testimony. And that's the one thing that I'm finding in being in this community is that as I'm dealing with people who are slaves to sin, I realize that the most powerful thing that I can use with them is my testimony. Because if I go to them and go, well, you know, the Bible says, they're like, Get out of my face. I don't ever want to talk to you again. But if I go to them and I say, you know, I can relate. You know, there was a time in my life when I did this and that. And then they go, well, how did you get out of that? Jesus. You know? 
And then they're like, wow, you see the difference? See the difference? So our testimony is for that purpose because nobody can argue your testimony with you because it's yours. You know, they can try to say, well, that's not true. And they go, well, yeah, it is because I experienced it. So it's true. You know, so, so a testimony is one of the most powerful gifts that, that God has given us. And a lot of times that testimony comes through, moving through this, being enslaved by sin and then moving out of that, and then being able to help other people to find their way to freedom and out of that slavery to sin in their lives. Okay? So moving on in this passage in Romans chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 5. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, and certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, listen to this, ladies, you also, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon. Reckon yourselves. What do you think that word means? What does reckon yourselves mean? Consider. Hmm? Consider. Consider. It's a a very determined aspect of considering. It's like... If I'm going to reckon with something, I, I'm not just going to go, oh, well, you know, yeah. I'm going to go, okay, this is it. I'm going to reckon myself dead with sin. I'm, I'm making a statement. I'm going to do this, you know. I'm going to do this because I want to be done with this. And then he goes on and says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah and amen. Is that good news? Man, that is good, good news. That is good news. And the great thing about this news is that God says, it's already done. All you have to do is reckon. All you have to do is take hold of it. All you have to do is believe it, first of all, and then begin to act upon that need to act, come out from under sin, okay? Um, so <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about sin, okay? Because I think sometimes we're, we're not sure uh, about this, okay? So um, give me some, uh, some sin that might be going on in your life or in the body of Christ? Or what are, what are some things that are sin? Promiscuity. Promiscuity, absolutely. Gossip. Hmm? Gossip. Gossip. Did I hear that? <laughs> Gossip. Gossip. Yes. What else? Pride. Pride, absolutely. And pride likes to hide itself as all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, embarrassment is pride. That's all it is. If I'm embarrassed, it's because I'm proud. And I don't want anybody to think that I did something or made a mistake or whatever. So that's pride. Okay? Pride is all kinds of little things. Pride covers up. Um, what else? Lying. Lying, yeah. What does it say in Revelation? Revelation, Revelation. Liars go to hell. Liars go to hell. <laughs> burn, burn, burn. Okay, sorry. 
That used to be an old Sunday school song. <laughs> we used to do it with like the junior high and the high school. Liars go to hell, burn, burn, burn. Because it actually says in there that you'll be cast into the <laughs> Sorry. But yes? Unwholesome talk? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, we can go through James and Proverbs and see all sorts of things about unwholesome talk. Mm-hmm. Doubt. Doubt. Thank you. Doubt. And what's another word for doubt? Worry. Worry. Worry and doubt, ladies, is sin. It is the opposite of trusting in God, and it is a sin. And yet we ignore it. We ignore it. We go, oh, I have a right to worry, you know? Or we say, oh, I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the line between being concerned and being worried. It's okay to be concerned, you know? But when it steps over the line into worried, then what am I saying to God? Yeah, he's not in control. God, you're not in control. How many of you, if I asked you, would say you believe that God's in control? Everybody would raise their hand, right? Oh, yeah, I believe God's in control. How many of you live every day of your life like you actually believe God's in control? Okay, there you go. So that's the real fact of the matter, okay? And obviously, I don't have this one down either. Although it's funny because before I got saved, I was a really worrying kind of person. My husband used to give me funny cards with women with their hair sticking out. Like, you know? And, and honestly, today, I really hardly ever worry anymore. I just go, whatever. You know, the, the plane went off course and I didn't make this and we didn't I, I don't care because God's in control and if he wants to change my plans I gotta be okay with that yeah. and I learned to be okay with that and it's a lot more fun it's a lot more free you know so so worry and doubt is a big one in the body of Christ you know and, and I'm talking mainly about that today because you're the audience of that I mean obviously we could look at sin and we could say things like you know people out in the world who are in all sorts of dark sins, you know, and we've got murder going on, and we've got drug use going on, and we've got, you know, all those sort of things, but in the body of Christ, we need to recognize and call sin, sin, because too often we're not. Is Mm depression? You know, now, this is interesting. (laughs) I just went through this with a a group of gals. Um, Depression, I think there's, there's different levels, and there's different ways, because you can have what's called clinical depression just like you can have clinical things. And those are things that are physically wrong in your body that need to be corrected. You know, like people who have anxiety disorder, and it's, a, it's something in their brain that doesn't fire correctly, and a lot of times medications will rebalance that, and they'll be fine. So there's a clinical aspect to those things. And so I want to be really careful to say that I'm not going to say in general that depression is a sin, but I'm going to say that if you fall into something like that over a situation... And you let it, let the enemy use that and drive you and drive you and drive you. Then, yeah, I mean, there's an aspect of sin to that that we need to cast off. So be careful because a lot of those kind of things, anger, anger is sin. And yet sometimes we think we're justified in anger. And yet if you go through the scriptures, it's very clear that we are never to use anger to, to, on anybody in any situation. Righteous anger. Now, what is righteous anger? So, I mean, I can be righteously angry at some of the things that are going on in the world, absolutely. But if I get caught up into a cause, and I'm like, you know, and I'm going to go, no, that's that's unrighteous anger. That's not from God. You know? And I've seen that. I, I had a friend who was involved for a while with a group of Christians, and they would go out and cause trouble in the name of Jesus. And they were they, and it was not righteous at all. It was terribly unrighteous. And they would go in and march and do all, and they were it was they were out of control. They beat up people at the 
at like the Planned Parenthoods who were out there saying that abortion should be okay. I mean, and they were doing it in the name of Jesus. And it was like, no, that's not, that is not appropriate. That is sin, period. You know? So anger, we need to be really careful with anger. In your home, you know, how many of you sometimes get angry with your kids or with your spouse? You know, we all do it. But what do you do with it? You know, what do you do with it? That's always the key, isn't it? What do I do with it? You know, like I might go get mad at my husband for a moment and say something I shouldn't. And then I got to take responsibility for that, don't I? And I got to go, you know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. You know, and God, I'm sorry. Because really, I'm sinning against God, aren't I? Just like David said, you know, it's against God that I've sinned and him alone. And so we have to get the right perspective that when we sin, it's not necessarily against people, but most importantly, it's against God himself that I'm sinning. And so I need to care about that enough to want to move away from that, to want to reckon that sin dead so that I can be free and I can no longer be a slave of sin, but that I become a slave of the good master, the good God, the good Lord, the good Father. Amen? What about despair and procrastination? Sure. I mean, all of those things can fall into a category of sin because it all comes down to how it's, how it's enveloping you and how it's controlling you and, how, and like what it's doing to you and what you're allowing it to do to you. You know, and so you, you, those are the kind of things that we need to be looking at as Christian women because a lot of times they get buried. Here's one. You're all going to love this one. Manipulation. <laughs> yeah, lots of laughs there. How many of you manipulate? You know, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head any way she wants. Yeah. Manipulation. Okay. We manipulate people so that they do what we want them to do. We manipulate people so that it makes our life easier. Manipulation, that is a sin. You are sinning against somebody when you begin to manipulate people for your advantage. It also could be called selfishness because in that manipulation I'm being selfish because I want things my way or I want things comfortable for me. Um, who was it? It was um, oh, one of the big, big writers, speaker guys. I can't even think now. Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll shared a story one time that has stuck with me for years. He said that when he was a young pastor and he had his big church in Orange County, he would be doing counseling, and he would sit at his desk, and he had a big office, and people would come into counsel, and he had chairs in front of the desk, and they would sit down on the chairs for counsel, and he would right away think, what do I need from this person? Like, what do I want them to do? Or what, you know, like, his mind would kind of go to that. So he would counsel them, basically manipulating them, so that they would do whatever service in the church he needed them to do or whatever. So he was manipulating them and thinking that it was justified because, well, we need more Sunday school workers. So, you know, if I tell them, they'll do it, you know. So this is, the, you know, his, his perspective on it was that he thought it was right, but it wasn't at all. And he said he remembered one day he was sitting there and he was manipulating somebody about something. And the Holy Spirit just said to him, you are really glad that I don't manipulate you like that. He just went, whoa. And he, they, he sent them out, and he said he got on his knees. He was just broken. He was like, God, I have been manipulating people in my church for, what am I doing? And so he actually stood up in the pulpit, apologized, realized that he'd been doing this sinful thing. And then he went and got himself a little plaque, and he put it on his desk facing him. And he said, what is my purpose in what I'm speaking to these people? And he realized my purpose always needs to be for their good, for their benefit, and for the benefit of Christ. And never for himself. You know? So manipulation's a big one. We do it a lot, and we need to be really, really careful. I used to do it all the time with my husband. I'd manipulate him. I thought it was so funny. You know, 
And now it's just a joke for us because I try not to do it anymore. And if I do, he says, "Hun, I'm like, yeah, sorry. You know, sorry. And uh, so um, uh, let's see. So I think, you know, we've hit on a lot of them. Um, Critical spirit. There's a big one. A critical spirit. And Christians can be some of the most critical people I've ever met. Oh, my gosh. Like, she's not doing that right. If I was doing that, I would be better. I mean, like, so critical spirit is definitely a sin. You know, and that is where that verse that everybody likes to use, you know which verse I'm talking about? Judge not, lest you be judged. But that is exactly what that verse is talking about. We should not have a critical spirit towards anybody, saved or unsaved. Because the same measure that we're going to measure out, guess what? It's going to get measured back to us. And not only that, but we get to the whole plank eye syndrome. You know, like before you start correcting other people, maybe you ought to look at the plank in your own eye before you're going, oh, let me get that little splinter, you know. And so uh, that critical spirit is definitely a sin, and we need to be fleeing from that, that sin as well. Um, laziness. Laziness is a sin. You know, yeah. I don't want to help anybody. I don't want to do anything. What is that? You know, that's not from the Lord. That's from the flesh and from the pit, you know. And, and just that selfish, lazy kind of a spirit that just says, it's just all about me. You know, and when your kids are younger, they're always like that. Like, you know, we have our granddaughters with us. They're eight and ten, and they're really great kids. And the ten-year-old's really starting to grow in her relationship with the Lord. But they're pretty funny because they get into things, and we're like, "Oh, it's just all about you, isn't it?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, it's all about me." (laughs) Yeah, and you're not ashamed of it, you know. But but we need to be careful that we're not all about ourselves and what we're doing and what we don't want to do, and that we're willing to make sacrifice. You know, and be obedient to what God calls us to do. And really, that's the thing. And that's another area that I'm not going to get off on because we're going to get into that later. But being obedient to God, not to other people, but being obedient to God and, and what that looks like. Um, quenching the Spirit is actually a sin. Um, and in uh, uh, Thessal- 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says that do not quench the Spirit. Okay? So we need to be careful that we're not quenching the Spirit. You know, that we are allowing people to worship the Lord and to come to the Lord the way that they want to, and in our own lives especially, that we're not quenching the Spirit by going, no, 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 but that we're open to the things of God. So those are some of the the areas. Oh, and we missed, I think, probably one of the biggest ones besides worry and doubt. I can't believe we missed it. Okay, it's in 1 Timothy, and it says, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Love, power, and a sound mind. Okay? God does not give us a spirit of fear. And that's First Timothy, I didn't write down the reference for some reason. Who knows that verse? First Timothy 1, 7, I think it is. I think you might be right. Okay? And that's a really big one to write down. Worry, of course, is in Philippians. Do not worry about anything, Philippians chapter 2, but pray about everything. Right? So <clears throat> fear is one of the biggest ones, and I think especially for women. All right, and this is another one where we have to be very careful about drawing the line, you know, so that we're not running around afraid about, you know, like oh my gosh, my grandkids are playing out front. What have I thought? You know, like okay, <laughs> let let's have a level of concern. Let's be wise, but let's not live in fear, you know, like that. That's not God's spirit for us to live in fear. 
And it's very clear in that verse. And I mean, there are several verses on fear that I could pull out for you, but you can find them yourselves if you are in your Bible, which I hope that you are. But that one's probably, I think, the most like specific and purposeful one because it says God does not ever give us the spirit of fear, ever. So anytime you experience fear, it is never from God. Never. Because if God's truly in control of everything in the universe, then it doesn't matter if my airplane is going down. And, you know, I'm on airplanes more than most people in, in one year than most people travel in their lives. And sometimes I'll sit there and I think, okay, you know, it's a matter of statistics and numbers. So any time now I'm going to be in one of those planes that crashes. You know? And then I have to go, what is that? If God wants to crash my plane today, I'm going to stand up while it's going down and say, y'all need Jesus. <laughs> and you better do it right now because you're not going to be alive in about five minutes, you know? So, so no fear. No fear. Fear is a sin, and you need to take a hold of that truth so that you're not a slave to fear. I know gals that just live in fear over everything. Are we going to have enough money? Are we going to have enough food? Are my kids going to turn out? I'm, your child's three. Are my kids going to turn out all right? Like, you know, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next year? This is fear. God says, just live today. You know, and if you're so focused on the future because of your fears, you're, not, you're no good right here and now because you're doing nothing today because all you can think about is all the things that might happen. And, what you, you know. and so get, get rid of the fear. Like, cast that out in the name of Jesus. You know, no more fear. So that's a huge one, okay? Um, so let's go over to John, 1 John, because I want to look at a few verses here uh, that I think are really interesting to this subject. 1 John chapter 3. So 1 John chapter 3, um, verse 9, says this. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he's been born of God. Okay, so that's a really interesting verse, isn't it? Whoever's been born of God does not sin and cannot sin. How many of you are born again? blood-bought Christians. And maybe you're not today. That's okay, too. Praise the Lord, you're here, and I hope that you decide, but that's not for us to do. That's between you and God. But if you're a blood-bought, born-again Christian, 1 John says several times that you cannot and do not sin. So how does that work? What is that talking about? <laughs> sure. I mean, he, do, he sees us through the blood of Christ, so he doesn't he sees our sin, but he doesn't take a hold of it. But, but more than that, what, what is practice. practice? The word there actually in the idea of sin is practicing sin, that those who are born again will no longer practice sin or no longer ongoing sin, okay? And I think you all can tell the difference between that. How many of you sinned today already? I did. I'm sure I did. <laughs> if I can't even remember it, I'm sure I did, you know? <laughs> You know, how many of you worried today? How many of you are fearful today? How many of you said something you shouldn't have said to somebody today already? I mean, how many of you thought something about somebody you shouldn't have today? Like, you know, okay. So all of us have already sinned today. There's no question about it. But we're not practicing sin. At least 
that the goal is that we're no longer practicing sin. And why is it that we cannot practice sin any longer? Hmm? Yeah, we can't serve both. And why is that? Okay, because of Jesus, but more so, yes, the Holy Spirit. Let's not miss the Holy Spirit. So, so often we skip over him. Okay, The Holy Spirit, the minute you were born again, indwelt you. Like, like the minute I actually truly surrendered my heart, the Holy Spirit went, whoo, yeah, jumped inside of me. And the Holy Spirit said, darkness cannot dwell with light any longer. And I am now in you, and I am light. And so you can't practice sin anymore. Because what happens if you start practicing sin? Conviction. You're going to be convicted because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he's going to go, what are you doing? Don't do that. What are you doing? Don't do that. You don't want to do that. Conviction comes upon us as Christians. Now, the world doesn't experience conviction. They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They have the Holy Spirit drawing them and around them, they experience something more like guilt. Okay? But guilt's not from the Lord. Conviction is from the Lord. Guilt drives us away. Conviction draws us toward Okay. So when God's drawing somebody, he's trying to convict them and get them past the idea of guilt so that they'll run to him. But as a Christian, that conviction should be a powerful tool in your life to save you from being a slave to sin. Okay. So when I'm practicing sin and the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, I'm going, I gotta stop doing this. I gotta stop doing it. And sometimes we go through seasons where we're practicing sin for a really long time and the Holy Spirit's going, What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and then finally one day we go, what am I doing? You know, and we we repent and, and make things right. And sometimes it's in an instant. Sometimes you're there and you say something to somebody, and the Holy Spirit says, "Could you do that?" And you're like, "Oh man, I'm so sorry." And you go to that person and say, "I shouldn't have said that." You know, or lying. That's a big one, lying. Like you know, you're telling somebody something and you stretch the truth. Anybody? And then the Holy Spirit says, "You just lied." Oh no no no, I just exaggerated. No, you just lied. Okay, period. So then what is your responsibility? The Holy Spirit convicts you. You go and you say, you know what? What I said to you wasn't quite correct. Let me correct that. That's the humility of receiving the conviction from the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to do in our lives every day because that's what brings change. That's what brings abundance. That's what brings freedom. Freedom. Because now I don't have to worry about the fact that I over-exaggerated. Now if I see that person again, I've got to remember what I over-exaggerated about. <laughs> or if I tell somebody else the same story, it better sound the same because they might talk. You know, so we need to be responsive to the Holy Spirit and then be obedient to what he calls us to do if we want to be free from being a slave to sin. All right. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have a response time. So I want you to take out one of your little cards, index cards, and I want you to write down on one side of it the numbers 1, 2, and 3. Everybody has a pen. Everybody has their index cards. Good. Okay. And so what I want you to do is, first of all, I want you to take a moment. Okay. And I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to lead you, to teach you. Because that's his job. And if you ask him, he will do it. And sometimes people, Christians, don't even know how to do that. And yet we should be doing that on an ongoing basis. So just to quiet yourself. Okay. Now maybe, as I pose this question, your answers are just going to be right there, lighting up red. Maybe not. Okay. But the question is, I just want you to write down three areas where you continue to be enslaved by sin in your life. Three things. And you might have more than that, but I think all of us can probably find at least three. 
And then I want you to write them down on the card because I want you to claim them and see them. Okay. Now, if you have some really obvious ones and some other ones that aren't so obvious, maybe you should bring the not-so-obvious up to the front of the line. I don't know. But I want you to write those down, okay? And I want you to pray. take a minute to just look at that and to pray over those things and to think about how you see yourself continuing to be a slave to that. I think most of you are already done, which is actually encouraging because I think it's good that we recognize things in our lives, but let's do something about it. That's the whole point of being here today. So here's the thing. There's a variety of different ways that you can overcome, be overcomers or tackle, but I'm going to speak about three of them in particular. Okay. So I want you to, you can write these down on your card too, um, perhaps on the other side. But one of the first things that you want to do to overcome your sin, I mean, I could probably ask you and you could probably all tell me, but what's something that we do to begin to overcome sin that we're enslaved to? Pray. Praying, absolutely. We want to begin to pray and we want to call on the Holy Spirit because his job is to come alongside and help us to overcome. And we don't use the Holy Spirit's abilities often enough. And yet he is the power that we have to be overcomers. So we need to pray. We need to ask God and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the fruit of the Spirit, one of them being self-control. We need to confess our sin in prayer to God. We need to acknowledge that sin and realize where it enslaves us. Then the next thing we need to do is we need to be open about our sin. We need to get accountability, and we need to tell other people where we're struggling. Okay. Now be careful that we don't do the, oh, I'm only going to tell safe people thing. Because if you only tell safe people, then when somebody who you don't consider safe talks to you, you're going to lie to them. So now you're in sin for that lie. Okay. So we need to be willing to talk to people about the weak areas in our lives and our sin. And I don't mean we're going to go broadcast and, you know, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. But I mean just in simple conversations with people and things come up and somebody says, yeah, I was really angry today, and you're thinking, yeah, I struggle with anger. But you don't want to tell them because you're counseling them and they think you're really spiritual. Okay, well, the best thing you could do is tell them. You know, yeah, I struggle with that too. And here's what I've been doing to try to overcome that. That's how we encourage each other, not by pretending like I've got it all together, and so you come to me because oh, I got it all together, you know. That that's, doesn't help anybody. So being willing to be an open vessel in those areas of weakness because it's in our weakness that God's made strong. And what that verse means is that God will use the weak areas in your life as the greatest strength in your testimony and ministry every time if you're willing to take hold of those weak areas. And then we need accountability too. We just need to go to somebody and say, I'm struggling with this. Can you ask me how I'm doing in a week? You know, can you encourage me with a verse? Can you pray for me? You know, so we need to get that. And then finally, the last thing is something I'd really like you to do today, if you're willing, um, is I would like you to claim the truth that you are no longer a slave to sin. And 
this is a really powerful thing that I think a lot of times we don't do enough. So I would encourage you today, if a few of you want to just stand up right here and now and say, I am no longer a slave of X, Y, Z. Because as we speak out truth into something like that, it becomes a reality in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a magic thing, but it's a fact that you're going to stand up and say, I am no longer going to be a slave to this. I'm done. I am done. And as you make that claim, then the Holy Spirit says, yeah, now we can move forward and begin to work. So if any of you would like to stand up right now and make a claim, go for it. Confess all three? Whatever. (laughs) Go for it. If you want to do all three, that's great. Okay. I claim the truth that I am not a slave to sex, loneliness, anger, comparison, jealousy, and laziness. Awesome. Hallelujah. You are no longer a slave to any of those. Yes. You're going to be an overcomer. Um, lately, I've been convicted about my critical spirit, mm-hmm. and I've really been praying about it um, for reminders and be prompted. Hallelujah. I am doing it. Okay. Because I don't realize. Yeah. Yep. Times I do and reflect. And say, Amen. So say it right now, sister. I am no I longer. I am no longer slave to Christ. Amen. And you're going to give your sisters here permission. So if you get critical, they need to be able to step into your space and say, with love, you know, that critical spirit, I'm seeing that right now. And you need to be able to go, you're right. Yeah, and that's a lot of times where it hides is in the mind, isn't it? Like you're standing in a room and you're inspecting everybody. (laughs) And God's going, really? You know? So, yeah, don't, don't, don't think that, that, you know, we all know that. What you think is just as important as what you actually say or do. So... Um, but great. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Can I just share something funny mm-hmm. about that? Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, my husband and I do this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we sort of swim in this pool of this critical and judgmental. Just the two of us, you know. And it's okay because we're not going to let it get outside there, right? <laughs> so, when one of us catches the other, you know, that we're doing this, we'll say this race. Don't you wish everyone was perfect like we are? Exactly. <laughs> and then we're like, oh yeah, busted. Yeah. And you know, that's really funny because my husband and I do the exact same thing. And we actually say almost the exact same words. Like, if I were king. If I were king of the forest. You know? So, yeah. And then you have to stop and say, really? Like, you know, I am so far from perfection. It's not even funny. So, um, yeah. So, and, and that's a really good way to do it. That's accountability that steps right into that and says, wait a minute, you know, stop, stop. And the more we're willing to do that and to let people be in that space, the more freed we're going to become from being enslaved under those sins. And right now, because it's maybe like a part of you, you don't really see the damage it does to you. But as you move out from underneath it, you're going to find this whole new sense of freedom and peace and joy because you're not busy criticizing or you're not busy worrying or you're not busy being afraid or, you, you know, I mean, fill in the blank. Do you know what I mean? So, awesome. Anybody else want to stand up and make a claim? I do. I I started out with procrastination. That was the first one. Specifically on one issue because the Lord's been calling me to start painting. Mm. I haven't done it in many years. And and so then I've I've got, I mean, the words the Lord has said to me and they're written down and I know that that's okay, but doubting God's direction. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing was, well, I don't want to fail. I don't want to disappoint the Lord, mm. but that really is his pride. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you are no longer I'm no longer slave to pride. 
Amen. Amen. So get with it. Be obedient. Do what you got to do. And while you're speaking, I'm being heavily and terrifyingly convicted. Because I'm supposed to ride, and I've had prophecy over me multiple times about my riding. Teresa knows all about it. And I still am not riding. I have a blog I do every once in a while. But I'm just really, and I love to ride. But I just don't want to do it. So I'm right there with you. So God's working on me on that one. We're getting better, getting closer. My husband set up a blog finally. He's like, okay, forget it. I'm going to set up the blog for you, and all you got to do is go on there and write something. Okay. You know, so I've done three blogs. Yay, me. Thank you. Um, words my like my husband keeps telling me to write a book about our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the back. Yeah. Uh, I, too, procrastination. I no longer send it procrastination, which then leads to laziness Amen. And that's exactly where it will drive you to is disobedience. Yeah, I have my mom's estate. It's been in my garage for <laughs> a few years now. And, uh, and it overwhelms me. Mm. So then that makes me do nothing. And, just, uh, and I know that it's Satan just kind of, like, yeah. you, know, you, you know, it just seems overwhelming. Just think about the goal on the other side of it. If you oh, get it do. done, you're going to yeah. be free. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. I am free to dance in my garage. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Amen. It wasn't I. When I heard was last time, weren't we talking about missions? Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I think we were talking about that last time I was here with you. I don't know. I think there was a conversation about missions. So, yeah, be ready. So you got to free yourself. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would probably say apathy. Mm. Amen. And it is messy. You know, when we get involved with people and we do things, it's messy. But what does it say? If there's no ox in the stall, but if there's ox in the stall, it's messy. You know, Christianity's messy. People are messy. It's okay. It's all good. Let's all just get messy together. You know? Or it's like uh, John Corson used to say, we're all in the bathtub together. And then his kids would say, yeah, but my brother pees in the water. So, you know, it gets messy. It's okay. (laughs) all right so thank you for doing that but really that's the thing like even with other people around you to say you know what honestly this is a sin that i've been enslaved to and i don't want to be a slave to this any longer and ask people to help you you know ask people to help you give them permission because that's what we're supposed to be doing for each other so that we can come into the freedom that god wants and we can be enslaved by him which is a beautiful wonderful place to be and not enslaved by all that other stuff in our lives that goes on. Amen? Amen. And I, I will close this section by saying to you, one of the most powerful things you can do is find a verse that lines up with whatever your thing is. You know, like fear, the one in First Timothy. Like worry, the one in Philippians. And so there's a verse for every single one of those things, whether it's laziness, apathy, procrastination. There's a verse for every single one of them. If you can't find it, ask somebody to help you find it. Okay? And then you memorize that verse and you speak it what? Out loud. Okay? Because hearing comes, faith comes by hearing. And it's even for us. If I speak the word of God out loud, it has a greater impact on me than if I just read it. Because I'm hearing it. 
And God made us that way. So I read my Bible out loud, and it's so much more powerful. And when you have a verse that you need to hear, you speak it out loud. Right out loud. And it will make a huge difference in your life. So take those verses, and you're driving along, and all of a sudden you get fearful. God never gives me a spirit of fear, but love power and a sound mind. So Satan, get behind me. I am not going to listen to that anymore. When you take control, be an overcomer. Amen? All right. Anybody else have something they want to share? But because I had my children, I was kind of just going through the motions. But after I got saved, um, you know, it was like a moment-to-moment issue for mm-hmm. me. And so I had, um, I called it my, am, my, my I am statement, mm-hmm. but just on a three-by-five card, I had on my bathroom, um, you know, where I get ready, I am a child of God, I am, and mm-hmm. I would Mm-hmm. Because I mean, it happened, like I said, moment to moment, and I would pull that out. And literally, sometimes it was like every five minutes. I was reading this, yeah. Amen. you know, it was tired, yeah. and it sounds silly, but it was like I, I was so, you know, I was drowning that I needed, yeah. I, that was my little. It's like a life preserver. Life preserver. Amen. So. Yeah, that's a powerful tool. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to look at this afternoon is claiming those promises and how those become the power in our lives that we hang on to, that life preserver, and that place where we are able to stand and have that broad place under us. Amen? All right, so let's take like probably about a three or four minute break. If you need to go potty, get some more water, make it quick, and then we're going to move into the next section. And like I said, lunch is not going to be at 1130. It's going to be closer to 12-ish, but we'll be good. Amen? Let's pray real quick before we do that, actually. Lord, thank you so much um, for this morning um, already and the things that you've already done through the worship and through your word, Lord, and um, we just are are grateful, and we give you the praises uh, for it. And Lord, I thank you that as I even stand up here and share that I know, Lord, that you are moving me forward in the areas where I'm still enslaved to sin, and I am excited to move past them. I am excited to be an overcomer. I am excited to be your slave and no one else's. And so, Lord, um, help us. Help us to move forward with these things. Help us to act on them. Help us to do what we know we need to do, Lord. And then to know that you will come alongside us. You will come under us and over us and behind us and alongside us. And you will bring success, Lord, your type of success. You will prosper us and you will move us forward and you will bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.